Hi, and welcome to the Midlife Feast, the podcast for women who are hungry for more in this season of life. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Salib Huber. I'm an intuitive eating dietitian and naturopathic doctor, and I help women manage menopause without dieting and food rules. Come to my table, listen and learn from me, trusted guest experts in women's health, and interviews with women just like you. Each episode brings to the table juicy conversations designed to help you feast on midlife. And if you're looking for more information about menopause nutrition and intuitive eating, check out the Midlife Feast community, my monthly membership that combines my no-nonsense approach that you all love to nutrition with community so that you can learn from me and others who can relate to the cheers and challenges of midlife. Hi, Deanna. Hey, Jen. So we are back for this third Q&A session, and uh, we'll link to the first two in the show notes. Um, I won't go into the big history of it. You can go back and listen to um, how we've come to this idea. But um, we're going to dive into three questions that have come from listeners about food and hopefully will help to make menopause nutrition feel easy. Yay. All right. Are you ready for another question? I am. All right. I like this one because it's a little bit a little bit sassy, um, and I... I relate with it. So it says, I'm just so tired of the low carb and carb phobia nonsense. How do we even combat the damage that it's done by diet and wellness culture? It seems like an impossible task. We're all tired of it. (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, I always say, and I I don't mind dating myself this way, but I started studying nutrition in 1995. Uh And it was just before the low carb craze. We were still very much in the low fat phase at that Uh point Uh in the 90s. But by the time the 2000s rolled around, you know, there was Atkins and there was all that stuff. So low carb diets, A, are nothing new. Um, Uh And the fact that they have come and gone like every other diet a million times Mm -hmm. tells us that they don't work the way that they say that they do. But we also just have so much new science. So this idea that like the carbohydrate insulin model of weight regulation, meaning that if you eat something that brings your insulin levels up, that that will increase your body size, your weight, because it promotes fat storage we just know not to be true anymore. So insulin serves many purposes. It's a satiety hormone. It's critical. We need it to get fuel into our cells. Um, If we didn't have it, as in type 1 diabetes, we die literally. So we know that it's like not the whole piece of the puzzle. Um, Mm -hmm. But the fear that it created around carbohydrates is like nothing short of spectacular. Um, So just try and remember that it's bad science, it's old science, and we really have studied this so many times. Mm-hmm. And low carb, especially the ultra low carb diets like keto, have no advantage um, to our health. And even if weight regulation is what someone is after, mm-hmm. there is no distinct advantage to doing these ultra low carb diets. Um we want to focus on like what you add in, like add mm-hmm. in the fiber, which comes from carbs, by the way. Yeah. Um, and just remember that food is, we need balanced plates. So I always talk about this like three-legged stool. We yep. need the carbohydrates, we need the protein, and we need the fat. So trying to silence wellness and diet culture um, is, is, a, is a good goal, but just focus on you, right? Just focus on what you're doing and what feels good. And if you're, if you feel like following low carb has just created a lot of noise, just let it go because you don't need to do it. 
I think the the way to combat it is just to eat carbs and feel satisfied. (laughs) If they're not, if the people who are proposing this are not eating carbs, they're probably angry and frustrated because they're hungry. Like, (laughs) so. And um, people who are listening as well, go back and listen to the episode. I don't know if you know the number off the top of your head with Val Schoenberg that we, that we did on insulin resistance. Oh, it's in the seventies, I think in the seventies. I want to say yeah. 78. I could be wrong, yeah. but it's, it's, it's up there anyway. Yeah. Um, and we were talking about like, where did all of this come from? And mm-hmm. I think Val very aptly said mm-hmm. that it is kind of rooted in fat phobia mm-hmm. in this fear that we have about bodies getting bigger. Yeah. So, um, I always like to kind of try and tie into the social justice piece of mm. body acceptance and that it's more than just me. It's like, well, I need to be part of dismantling the ladder as Sonia Renee yes. would say. So, um, fight Rich. back by eating carbs. Yes. <laughs> Crunch them up. <laughs> okay. Um, this one is an interesting one. I I appreciate this. This one says, I follow a few experts such as yourself and even between experts, the advice differs. How do I know that your advice is the right one? Who has the right advice? (laughs) That is like such a great question. So one of the things that I always tell people is obviously look at the source and see like, are they a trusted source? Meaning, are they able to provide evidence for what they're saying? Or is it just anecdotal? Are they talking about like the success stories that they have with clients or even with patients? Like, you know, what is it that is backing up what they're saying? And I think that it's important too, that when we're talking about trusted sources, there's a reason why most countries regulate health professionals. And so if you're, if the person that you're getting information from isn't a registered health professional in your state, province, country, whatever it is, and they don't have any governing body that they have to be accountable to, they can literally say whatever they want. And they do. And and they do, right? And so I think that that's a really important distinction is that just because someone can say something doesn't mean that they should. But even amongst healthcare professionals, I always tell people like, ask me for the evidence. I am more than happy to provide it to you. And two, if I find something that is actually new or updated or different, I'm happy for both of us to learn. Like there should be no ego in the evidence. Mm -hmm. So, you know, now that being said, there still is going to be like this variation of opinions and it is a hundred percent okay for health Mm -hmm. professionals to have slightly different opinions based on the data. And especially with nutrition, there's going to be a nuance there always, right? right? And so it's never going to be all or nothing. It's not ever going to be like 100% yes or 100% no. And we're all individuals. And so that is the value, I think, of working with people who have not only the training and the clinical experience, um, but just who have kind of the breadth of experience to know that it's impossible for there to be like one right solution, right? Totally. So, totally. Um, I think that especially those all or nothing filters can be helpful mm-hmm. because if someone is like, it is always this, or it is never this, or you should only do this. No, <laughs> run the other way. Yeah. Um, and also if they're selling something. Yes. So that's like 
you know, the first filter, obviously. (laughs) Um, But it is okay for experts to have different opinions, as long as they can still back up their opinion with evidence. And as long as it's like a reasonable differing, right? Um, Like, if you look at any specialty, whether it's nutrition, oncology, gynecology, whatever, you're going to have people who have slightly different opinions, but they are not going to be on like opposite sides of the planet, right? Right. You're not Mm going to have somebody who is saying that like you should always do something and never do something else. Mm -hmm. So those would be kind of my, my first places to start. I love that. All right. This person says, I want to learn, but the fear mongering is a lot to filter. I know older age can be amazing, but I don't feel that from all that I read. And I feel HRT is being pushed at every angle. Can you get through it without it? Or do we have to just get all the diseases and die if we don't take it? God. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the HRT, HRT is having its moment. Menopause is having its moment. Yeah. There are some, I think, very much needed advocacy conversations around access to HRT um, on both sides of the pond, yeah. as it were. And for many people, you know, who have had to fight unnecessarily for something as stupid as like vaginal estrogen, which should be mm. over the counter. Like, you know, like yeah. we sometimes need to push that envelope, but in that conversation of advocacy and access, we do need to remember that this is a natural stage of life that we all go through. Mm-hmm. We absolutely have the tools and resources within it to make the best of it, to come through the other side feeling stronger and better, um, to to really, you know, reap the benefits of the season of life, this, you know, the confidence that we can have when we when we kind of get through. I always say, and I and I am not lying in the tiniest little bit that postmenopause is the bomb. I love it. <laughs> Um, I truly, truly am so excited to be in this age and stage and, and want to stay well. And I love as I shared in my, um, what I wish I'd learned in peri in perimenopause episode from February, I can't remember what that number is. Um, you know, I wanted HRT to work, like I kind of desperately wanted it to, and it just didn't for me. Um, yeah. we'll link that episode in the show notes too. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there are so many other ways to support not only the symptoms, but just that journey through perimenopause. Um, That being said, I am absolutely a huge fan of it for people who need it, want to try it, have access to it. If there are no contraindications, like don't let the wellness culture noise around HRT really get into your decision-making process. It's only a decision that you and your healthcare provider can make. Your mom can't make it for you. Your sister can't make it for you. Your best friend can't make it for you. But you can absolutely make it through the other side with or without it and feel like you're better off for it. Like there's so many different paths to get there. Yeah. So, and you don't have to do it alone. Yeah. Well, and I so appreciate that you, you hold that in the balance of, you personally didn't have a great experience with it, but you have seen it support so many other people. So, um, and I think it's also a good reminder with the fear mongering, like, we constantly have to filter our feed, you know, whether it's actual social media or just what comes into our brain of like, if that is what is constantly coming at you, then we need to, to analyze what, what we're letting in too. So. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Deanna. Thanks for all the great questions and uh, we'll see everyone again soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the midlife feast. 
For more non-diet health, hormone, and general midlife support, click the link in the show notes to learn how you can work and learn from me. And if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, please consider leaving a review or subscribing because it helps other women just like you find us and feel supported in midlife.